Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest for this episode, uh, a newcomer who got in touch by emailing me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, James McMurtry. James, welcome to the book club. Hello, Eamon. Delighted to be here. Thank you. I thank you for giving up your time to do this. Uh, here we are on Skype on a Tuesday morning. So tell me, first of all, James, as a newcomer, you tell us um, your 2000 AD origin story, please. Well, I'm a prog runner. Hey! <laughs> so, Got me again. Yeah, sorry. But, uh, well, it's interestingly, uh, I don't know. Are we the same age? I don't, I don't know. Are we? I'm 52. I know. I'm a bit old. I'm now 58. Right, okay. So I was a prime age for Pat Mills's demographic when he was uh, producing Action and editing Action in 2000 AD. And uh, Action would have been the first comic I, I read regularly. I uh, had that Hookjaw poster they just reprinted in the... Uh, yes. Uh, I had that on my wall for years. I love that poster. It's fantastic. So I took Action in, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in 76 and I wasn't really aware of any controversy to do with Action. It just well, That was beyond me. Um, as a sort of eight-year-old, so yeah. it was just—I was just interested in sort of Death Game and Hellman and Hookjaw. That's really—I wasn't aware of any political commentary, any sort of social commentary. It was just blood and gore. That's all I all I cared about. And yep. uh, and at the same time, I was reading uh, a diet of war comics and humor comics as well. So a typical of, of the time of, of boys like me, interested only in football and comics, really, and. And science fiction, which is where 2000 E came in, because I think when action uh, was withdrawn, uh, I must have picked up a few copies of the sort of like uh, of the uh, post so-called band issues. And then very quickly, 2000 E was there and it was like it was like action, but better because you had, as you say, you had um, you science fiction and dinosaurs. You had everything you possibly wanted as an eight, nine year old kid. It was fantastic. Um, so that's how I got into 2000, and that was the first comic I actually got a regular uh, subscription for or order for at the newsagent. Uh, it was 2000 AD. So it was a uh, it was a fantastic time. I didn't know at the time um, that it would still be with me in 2020. That's for sure. <laughs> but I, but I did know I did know that uh, I did know that I really cared about the comic even from a very early age, and I, I collect them. Lots of other comics. Um, they would pass through my hands. I would read them. Friends would have them, you know, commandos or warlords or battles, anything at all. You just read. But 2000 AD and later Star-Lord were the ones that I kept under my bed in a box, you know, and I kept a pile of them. Really, really, really liked 2000 AD and, and grew with it as it got, as it, as it improved. So, so in terms of 2000 AD, that would have been where I was. I mean, I did read, uh, I did enjoy reading Marvel, uh, a very early Marvel because it was very glamorous. I loved the adverts and it was just seemed very different, but it wasn't the same as reading 2000 AD because, you know, or, or action because, you know, in those comics, as we both know, nobody died. It was all very sanitized, wasn't it? Yes. And uh, although I love the glamour of, as I say, the rough and ready nature of 2000 AD really appealed to that sensibility of a kid from a council estate in 1976, 77. So that was brilliant. And, um, so that's my 2000 AD story. I, I, I thought that would, uh, I thought that was you know fantastic. Kept reading 2000, he loved it, and then in '78, Star Lord came along, and I remember my news agent said to me, you know, like there's a new comic here, you want this, and uh, it was Star Lord, and it was, again, it was like more of the same, but almost better, because uh, we're talking about Star Lord today, obviously, and yes. uh, 
it was glossy. It was just, it was, it was really plush. Uh, the stories were the same. I mean, I really enjoyed it. You had, uh, you had time travel. You had Planet of the Dam, which I really liked. You had Robusters, bit of robots in there, which is fantastic. But most of all, you had Strontium Dog. And Strontium Dog just stood out because it was like, for me anyway, and again, I'm going back to being that age. To me, it was like Judge Dredd, fully formed. Yeah, it was that sort of, it's very different. Yes. But, so, but I remember at the time, I think I'm right in the timeline, that uh, the Cursed Earth saga was running about the same time as Star-Lord came through or corresponded to that. So there's a lot of similarities, a lot of the same tropes, a lot of the same ideas, the same excitement came through. So right. for me, it was brilliant. And I can remember distinctly, I'm sure this is the case, maybe my memory is playing on me, but I'm sure it was the case, when it merged with Star uh, with 2000 AD, uh, I had the comic and I went up to, I was taken to London on a day trip when you see Arsenal, Pace of Hampton and Highbury. And uh, I had this, I just had all this comic all day long <laughs> with, with Johnny Alpha on the, you know the comic I mean, with Johnny Alpha on the front and Robot yes. and Dread and, and uh, Hammerstein uh, and... Um, Prog 86. Yeah. And uh, I just loved it. And I think, is that the one, or am I imagining this, where it's the ABC Warriors, ABC Warriors are in it and like Happy Shrapnel when they're introducing us to the, to the uh, oh, I should have had a look actually. But... Um, no, I just I'd have was, to check. Yeah, I was absolutely made up with that. I just thought it was the best thing ever that the two comics joined. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was certainly good news for this reader. That's for sure. It was. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'd got all of the twenty-two odd issues of Star Lord, then. Yes, yes. So, um, so basically, I, I better say this to you as well. And I think I said this before. I, I, I was so taken with two thousand AD, and it wasn't at first, but probably about halfway through, about a year into it, I thought, Do you know what. I love this comic. I'm going to, I want to keep these comics. I want to, I want to, I'm proud of reading this comic. I'm going to put them into folders and it's a common story. So I thought, right. And Star Lords came along. And I, thought, this is, I love it. I, I want to keep them. As I said, they're under my bed. So I decided that I was going to put them in ring folders. Uh, so I hole punched them all. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so I hole punch, and that, so I was hole punching my progs. So probably about, but by prog, prog one twenty or something like that. It's actually the one where Dread is uh, holding up the black on the Black Atlantic, and he's um, got the gun against the the big ship that's coming in off off the Black Atlantic. Yeah, the number. Anyway, so that one I sort of stopped to sort of get a sense that maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I couldn't afford the ring folders anyway. <laughs> so that's so I had these for years. I had these, uh, you know, the, the, all the early cop progs and Star Lords with hole punches, and, and feeling every year feeling progressively worse about it. And then in the 90s, I, um, do you remember there was a guy, oh, I can't remember his name, oh, I, should, I, haven't, I haven't gone back through the progs to find out, he had, he had a few adverts in the progs in the 90s, he used to buy, he used to sell 2000s and other related comics, he was based in Bristol, and um, very, very kind, very, very, very pleasant gentleman, I dealt with him a lot, I managed to get all my progs back, right? which was fantastic. And uh, but what was the best thing about him? He used to send us a little. Um, this is pre-internet. Send out a little, uh, like a just a, like a A4 printed photocopied sheet of what he had. And at the bottom there was a uh, always a section, and he called it something like holes or punched, where he he'd got tons of these hole punch, hole punch comics. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, and I thought, you know what? From that day, I thought, Do you know what? I don't feel so bad now. I wasn't the only one who did this ridiculous <laughs> thing. So. Um, but I ended up giving those away to I had a, uh, an artist I work with. I said, "Let's take them." Do you know what I mean? And uh, so I gave those away. But uh, but yeah, um, but the, the whole punch of those early progs. So um, yeah, that's my. I think that's my 2000 story, Eamon. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, I think there's no much more to say. I'm, st- I'm still reading it. I mainly collect the... Um, I'm having difficulty with the modern prog, really. It's not, re- it's not a lot in it for me. Um, but there are some fantastic stories that have come along in the last 10 years. Um, things like Lawless, which I think is amazing, um, which actually has a lot of similarities to what we're going to talk about today, doesn't it? It does, yes. Yeah. So let, let's get to it. Tell us what uh, title you've chosen for the book club. Well... As I said, I've been listening to it for a long time, and lots of the the the, uh, the graphic novels that you that have come up, I thought they'd, they'd be graphic novels I've admired and stories I've admired. But then I saw that they were uh, publishing the Strontium Dog Star Lord years, uh, and I thought that would be a fantastic opportunity to talk to you and to talk about um, 2000 AD. So I'm doing Strontium Dog the Star Lord years, um, which is due to be released shortly, isn't it? So um, it's been delayed. Like a lot of things by COVID, obviously. But yes, due out in November. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when it's... The, right, OK, because it was due out before now, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. Yes, it was, yeah. It was due, I think, to come out at the same time as the digital version came out. But they've pushed it back to November the 12th, I believe it is, when the hardback will be launched. Of course, there was a special edition hardback on the web shop, which is all sold out now. I didn't manage to get one of those. Um, let's just do Creator Corner. Obviously, this is John Wagner as T.B. Grover. We're going to be talking about art by Carlos Esquerra, obviously, but also Brendan McCarthy, Ian Gibson and Keith Page. Letters, Jack Potter, Tony Jacob, David Gould, P. Bensberg and Bill Aldrich. The original editor, Kelvin Gosnell. And the volume features an introduction by John Wagner, which we might reference at some point. So clearly, you, as you say, you're a big fan of the early years and of Star-Lord, so I can see why you've picked it. Tell us a little bit about Star-Lord itself and its brief uh, but bright history. Well, from the perspective of the publication of it, or from my perspective, Eamon? Yeah, from the publication, I think. Well, I think what I think the uh, from uh, Thrill Power Overload and various other podcasts we've listened to, it's quite clear that uh, it was going to be a comic aimed at... Uh, Older readers, am I right? Yes, uh, and that it was going to be a more a sort of better quality, uh, and was it going to be fortnightly? Uh, I think there was even talks of it being monthly yeah. and being all in colour as well. Um, but of course, the IPC budgets came down, and they ended up, I think, with just eight colour pages, including the cover and back page. So um, yeah, so they 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 launched it as a sister comic to 2000 AD, I think, as aimed at a slightly higher readership. And I think with, again, not being an authority, but I think with production deadlines um, and with a lack of sales, uh, obviously it had the 22-issue curse. Uh, yeah. It was folded into 2000 AD. But um, I don't think they could sustain it with the budget that they had. Um, and I think probably there was a sense of, I don't know what you thought, market saturation maybe? With 2000, yes. 2000 AD, it's probably cornered the market in that, because it really wasn't that much different to 2000 AD. I, mean, I think that's right. I think 2000 AD had the science fiction comic market, and they attempted perhaps to run before they could walk by immediately going for Star-Lord. But as you say, 22 issues, there was a special, there was later on, I think there were three annuals, uh, and I think we've got some of the Strontium Dog stories from that, pr- from those printed in the back of this volume. May to October 1978, and Kelvin Gosnell as editor. Yes. 
as I say, so a short-lived run, but it was quite a glorious run as well. I think you've got a great legacy there. Strontium Dog in, in itself is, is was a was a super, which would would have fitted into two thousand AD, I think, straight away. And Robust is becoming becoming ABC Warrior, so the legacy of, of Star Lord was right there. And I think, um, and there's that there's a classic, almost like future stock story. The one with, do you remember that one? The one with Melvin when he's um in his house, he's trapped in his house. Oh, I love you, Melvin. Right. Do you remember that? No, one? I don't. Oh, it's a fantastic! It really hit home to me. This uh, where, where there's a there's a there's a future shock basically, but he 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 has this future house and uh, is controlled by this robot who falls in love with him, protects him to the extent oh, right. to the to the extent that she kills him with love. So um so uh, anyway, but Time Cope was great. Mind Wars was great. Um, I thought Planet of the Day, Planet of the Damned was fantastic at the time. Uh, but it just it, it just like two thousand AD, it sort of uh, tapped into lots of the sort of, lots of the um ideas that were filtering through for young for young kids or young boys in particular the idea of uh like the Bermuda triangle of cowboys and western uh, and, uh, cowboys uh and, and western uh, tropes uh time travel uh robots um space anything like that it was was, was really appealing to us and of course you it, it, it's in the wake of of star wars star wars mania so yes. um I mean, you're, you're slightly now I know you're slightly older than me. But what did you think of Star Lord, Star Wars when it came out? Of Star Wars, yeah. I remember being taken on a school trip to see Star Wars. Right? Uh, would you believe? Because uh, it was such a big thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it was our art teachers and technical drawing teachers who took us because they'd obviously known about it, it was going to be such a, a huge thing. Uh, and it was just the visuals of those huge spaceships and the Death Star that, that really struck with me. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was interesting. I mean, it, it had a, a massive, and again, I can only talk from a cultural perspective of a child, but it did have a huge, huge impact. It was almost all, all pervasive, and again, it came, it filtered through the comics that we read as well and how we read them. So I think, obviously, on the back, of, it can't be underestimated how important it was for generating that sort of interest in, in science fiction. Although I would say science fiction was still there before that as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably why two thousand was launched partly because this film was coming, as, as Pat Mills was saying, but also because it was there anyway. I mean, we were fascinated with spaceships and you know, robots and things like that. Star Trek in particular, because if you remember rightly, Star Trek reruns were constantly on the TV, weren't they? And, and they were always on BBC Two when I got home from school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, but they were fantastic. I mean, people don't realise yeah. how, how, what quality they seemed at the time. I thought Star, yeah. Star Trek was real quality um, in those days and really, really admired it um, and liked it. So, so Star Lord, sometime I mean, up until recently, I, I mean, people were talking about it on podcasts and everything else. I think it's almost forgotten sometimes. It was for many years, uh, but it was a comic that was, uh, I think, I don't say equally as good as two thousand, but certainly up there with it, and had some, had some fantastic moments. Um, and I, you know, and as I say to you, from the, when it joined with two thousand, it seemed like a perfect fit. Uh, it wasn't as if. It wasn't as if you were losing something. It was just two forces joining together. So I, I, I genuinely felt that at the time. I was, I was elated with it. Okay. Yeah. And for more details about Star Lord, I guess Space Spinner 2000's recent Star Lordathon, where they covered all the 22 issues in a 24-hour period. Yeah, it's good. I did. I did that. I did issue two on that. So. Oh, you did right. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, was good. No, they're, they're they're a great couple. Them Fox and uh, um, and Conrad. They do yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Job, yeah, really, really yeah. good stuff. 
So let's go back to this volume then. Tell us about how Strontium Dogs started out in Star-Lord and what the stories uh, were like in those early days. Well, it's very interesting. So going through again, um, so I don't know about you, but when we think about Johnny Alpha and Strontium Dog, now we've got, in hindsight, we have we have Rage and we have a portrait of a mutant. Uh, we have the final solution. And you know, we have this, dare I say, checkered history of Strontium Dog. You have a character who developed into this sort of quite taciturn, stoic protagonist, but he's not quite the same in the early, in the early Star-Lord issues. He's more of a more of a hero, more of an action hero. Yes. So, yeah, and, and I really think that comes through, and we'll talk about that as we go through the stories. But uh, it starts off straight in, uh, no messing around. Uh, you're, you're, on, you're we're, we're in a it's it's a space story set on the frontiers of space on frontiers planets, and Johnny and his partner Wolf are search and destroy agents in pursuit of various uh, villains, um, and they we see them and their adventures as they go forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, we see how they deal with them. So it's, it's actually quite generic. Uh, there's no, there's no real surprises, but there are lots of interesting things that happen, which we can discuss that are certainly set up for much later on. And actually were very, very exciting for me. And I, I certainly hadn't seen them. So although it reflected a lot of the same sort of tropes you'd see in a uh, warlord or battle, or even 2000 AD, um, there was enough difference in there to make it a bit special. Uh, so that's that's how Strontium Dog starts off. It's, it's it's a basic, you know, search and destroy, you know, uh, bounty hunter tale, um, with I'd say, embellished with lots of different uh, and interesting ideas, which were certainly very appealing to me. So, do you want to? And interest. Yeah. It, well, interestingly, I'm just looking the third page of the first story. You get that you you get a great portrait of Johnny Alpha and Wolf in the top left hand corner, but you also get that um, idea of them being discriminated against for being mutants or Johnny for being a mutant. You know, it's right in there from the third page, isn't it? Well, uh, throughout everything, I mean, uh, John Wagner really emphasised this idea of prejudice and discrimination. I mean, it's I mean, I was just going to go through. I was going to talk about that. This idea that uh, you know he's really setting up, and I don't know how much John Wagner was, you know, intending to take this any further. But it's it really, really does strike a note with you because Johnny, as well as being the uh, the hero of the piece, he's also the underdog. Excuse the pun. Yeah. He really is, you know, and that is again that's quite appealing too. And uh, if and you're right, from there, <laughs> although he's clearly on the side of good uh, apprehending villains and uh, various other evildoers he is not you know he's treated so abysmally uh, and again you know you feel a real sense of sympathy for him as well and, and having uh, Wolf as his foil you know as this normal or norm is a really good touch too because you get a sense of their the, the, the potential the brotherhood they have you know that they can overcome this appalling attitudes towards them yeah, it is. It's fascinating because I often think back, uh, you know, that it started as a sci-fi western, and then later on would become this uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant story of oppression and revenge, and of course, famously, rage. But actually, a lot of those elements were right there in the very first issue. This introduction of this idea that he's a discriminated against uh, minority. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic stuff. I mean, obviously, as you say, there's a certain action hero nature to him and Wolf in these early stories. And they're flying around space, they're dropping off on planets, they're uh, cracking cases and cracking heads. But yeah, all, a lot of that stuff is there right away from the very beginning. Um, as you say, who knows what John Wagner sort of planned at that stage or whether he was just saying, all right, here's a story, here's some characters, we'll get this going. But it's very interesting stuff, isn't it? It is very interesting. And uh, I think that some... Um... But it's not just that as well, Eamon. It's it's not just the idea of you know what we know in hindsight to be what happens later. You know, with, with this idea of social oppression. But what I really what really interested me reading back again was how so much of what we come to expect from Strontium Dog later on, in terms of the way he appears, sort of the artwork and his equipment uh, and the way he acts for, for in, in many ways, is there. It doesn't really change, you know, and uh, I think that's uh, that's a real testament to the writing and to Carlos's art. I mean, it really is. I mean, this is this. He he came. He hit the ground running with this one. It was a fantastic. Uh, I say a fantastic uh, creation. Um, and I know I know that Carlos considered this one to be what his favourite, wasn't he? I think. He's, yes. Yeah. So I mean, the, in- the interesting thing is what John writes in the introduction that you know, to some extent. Carlos felt that Judge Dredd had been taken away from him after he'd done the character design. But Johnny Alpha was always his favourite character to draw. And uh, again, a bit like John and his writing, Carlos just nails the artwork almost straight away and defines the look of Johnny and Wolf um, and the world and the weapons and their costumes and then the supporting characters, the Gronks in here. There's the smiling Chuckwalla monster turns up towards the end of this volume. It's just it's just spot on. And you can't... I can't think of any other long-running 2000 AD character that is so identified with just the one artist. No, and I'm not sure as well... I don't know if you agree with me, but I don't think even Dread was established as quickly as Strontium Dog in terms of being a fully formed character. You know, no. It took a long time for Dread to become the Dread that we know uh, and he, how he developed and, and the whole world was created. But Strontium Dog is there. But it maybe it's something to do with the simplicity of it that actually is drawing from what we know to be lots of I mean, the Western tropes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and maybe it's because it's drawing from that. Actually, um, you know, you could, you could substitute Johnny for being... You know, like excuse my language, but a half breed. You know, from that, in that, using the terms of those of those. Yes, another uh, sort of like oppressed minority. Yeah. Yes, I mean, how many times have we seen that in a western where you've got the you know you've got that sort of character who's mixed race uh, and faces oppression, but actually is skilled and honor honourable and good. You know what I mean? And is the moral and is the moral focus of the of the story. Yeah, uh, and as we've said. He introduces the, you know, we've got Johnny's powers from his eyes. We've got the happy stick for Wolf. We've got time bombs. We get the first appearance of Electronux. All of these things, it's all contained in this one volume of these 22 sort of Star-Lord stories, isn't it? It really is. Now, should we go through each story and a quick synopsis of each one? Yeah, give us a quick synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, yeah, so basically, then, so obviously, we've got a selection of stories of, of, of varying lengths from sort of two parts to, to multiple parts. Uh, and um, the first one starts off, uh, I think it's called Max Quirks. Let's have a quick look. So, yeah, Max, Max Quirks. So, Johnny and Wolf are 
It's set in 2180. So we're talking about we're talking about roughly 100 years after Dread, aren't we? I think this is what we're led to believe. Right, yes. Because yeah, they are sort of in the same timeline, but it's all sort of like quite ambiguous, isn't it, I think? Yeah. <laughs> in that way. But they land on the planet Kator. Uh, it's an admin planet in the Dorian Nebula. And they have a termination warrant for this uh, for Max Quirks. And, they, and as you say, they, they, they set about uh, pursuing him. Uh, and they're set upon by some henchmen of his. Uh, and they get to use, we see them, we'll see Johnny, first of all, using his powers. Um, they're wearing some, some great technology here as well. I love the idea. I mean, I, really, I can remember distinctly loving the, uh, the, the technology, like the chameleon cloaks that these men are using. Yes. But Johnny, it doesn't feed Johnny's eyes. And Johnny sees them and some great artwork there. Uh, and they, they, they kill them. We dispatch those very quickly. Uh, and then obviously they go in pursuit. But what the great bit is when they, they, they uh, Johnny uses one of his time devices uh, to bring back one of the assailants from the dead. <laughs> and, I know. <laughs> Horrific. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything really great. I mean, I remember as a kid thinking, this is just honestly, horrible, but brilliant. And he wakes up and uh, obviously Johnny threatens he can make him die a thousand times or whatever. Um, and then... Um, he gives away his he gives away his uh his, his location but at the same time johnny is de- de- dealing with this in quite a macabre way but the police come along and they're, they're suspicious but they're forced to sort of uh comply with him because he's this search and destroy agent and then the next issue we get the pursuit of max max Quirus himself but what's really interesting at the beginning of the, f- the second episode we get a really good sort of montage, don't we, of, of the background um, of prejudice and hatred against the strong, against the mutants. So, you know, that's, that's really quite a powerful sort of yes. Johnny stood in the middle. I really quite like that one. And very quickly, they've, they've, they've located Max Quirks. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this. Do you remember, oh God, you, have to, you, you could probably remember, the Carlos created the dread the concept of dread with the uniform and everything else based upon the sort of Spanish fascistic sort of uniforms. Didn't Carlos also, or was it Mike McMahon, didn't he also create the mega city landscape with a sort of like very organic sort of uh, cityscapes? Yes, I think, you know, there's that classic first picture yeah. uh, of Dread on his lawmaster against the cityscape and it's very, and it's Carlos. Yeah. And then I think Mick McMahon sort of adapted it uh, yeah. and so on. But so you really get a sense of that in here as well. So, I mean, Carlos, it's definitely a Carlos style, isn't it? That's, yeah. how, that's how he envisages these future cityscapes of these very organic buildings. So they find, they, they find uh, Max Quirks uh, and they hunt him down. Uh, but what's, and they're using their various weapons on him. But what's brilliant is that he holds this woman and child hostage. But uh, did you read that bit, Maimon, where um, they're, they're being... They have these, this, uh, where is it? It's a droid or robot, school school attendance officer robot, I think what it's called. Your child has missed four days preconditioning school. Explain. <laughs> and it's yes. citizen 738-26522. Explain. Do you know what I mean? So, it's a weird future they're depicting, isn't it? Yeah. It really is, this dystopia. Uh, you are, you are inter- so this Max Quirks comes in, uh, pistol whips the woman. Please make appointment through normal channels. So... Um, it's just horrible. So they, anyway, they, they use their time device on him. And as has been said before, uh, they, they throw the bomb in and that particular, the area of the bomb with the robot throws Max Quirks. It's a back in time, two days later. 
Yeah. Two days later into open space. Yeah. <laughs> so the last, yeah, and, and that's brilliant. So I can remember at the time thinking, that's just, that's a horrible, that's a horrible way to die. And I can remember, tell me if you remember this as well. Do you remember seeing the film Dark Star? Dark Star? Oh, yes. Yeah. John Carpenter. Yeah. John Carpenter's Dark Star. And do you remember the bit where the, the astronaut is, he's in his spacesuit and he just basically floats away? Yeah. And I can remember watching that around about the same time and uh, being quite disturbed by that. There's something quite horrific about being trapped in a spacesuit or whatever and just floating off into space, isn't there? I know. And this, uh, there's the fate of Max Quirk here, as you say. <laughs> yeah. And then on the next page, I notice we get the first ever instance of Johnny taking the bounty he's got from hunting him down and giving it to a mutant beggar on the street. Yeah. The first time that Johnny gives the money away, which becomes a recurrent theme as well, doesn't it? It does. I mean, for, for, the world, for, the, for the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter, he's always poor, you know. Yes. So, because Wolf always despairing that his own, <laughs> Johnny's accounting. Earn the money, give it away. What about the Papa Porker story that follows yes. on? So, so we have the, the Papa Porker story. Now, this one... Again, I can remember this one being, being really taken by this one. It's uh, so Johnny and um, Wolf are on the Astroliner uh, Sondheim, and uh, they're just immediately prejudice kicks in, and they're, they're relegated to the cargo hold. But there they meet Gronk, um, who is this uh, metal-eating sort of like creature, much like the thing from is Adam's family uh, from the from the Blast Planet in the uh, Galago system. Anyway, so they're there. They 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 meet and they talk and. Um, uh, and we have that, that's established, but very quickly that the ship is uh, this liner, this astro liner is um, boarded by pirates, by space pirates, and Johnny and Wolf are taken prisoner uh, because they've had to uh, give their guns up, and obviously then they they refuse to join Papa Pork, who recognises that they're actually good fighters, um, and Gronk saves them, and uh, Johnny, obviously, and Wolf go on a killing frenzy. Yeah. And uh, and then get their revenge. But what's interesting about this one as well? You see Johnny's, you see Johnny's cleverness, which is good as well. It's not just an action hero, and Wolf isn't just with his hammer, but uh, he gets uh, he gets Papa Porker to promise he won't break his word and leave them alone to, to continue their trip, which Papa Porker breaks his word straight away. At which point his ship disintegrates because Johnny's put a, nu- is it a mini nuke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it is. It's great stuff. <laughs> so off he goes, deservingly so, and good night. But again, what really strikes me here, Eamon, is that um, you really get, this is one of those ones where you really get a sense of Johnny being being quite verbal, quite verbose. Whereas, you know, I don't know if you agree, but often, you know, in the future, Johnny doesn't say much at all. He's become more taciturn over the years, hasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely, he really has. Yeah. But you do get a sense of him being in control here. You know, he'll, he'll he's, but it's that sort of like lots of exposition of what he's saying, but he's really explaining to you to you. And I like that last shot. Just just looking at it now, actually, he's looking straight at us, maybe, uh, and Wolf's behind him. It's, it's 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 a really really good bit. What I really noticed about um, Papa Porker, though, again, it comes through, is Carlos's design. And I don't know if you noticed this, but the design of his spaceships. Yeah, it's a reoccurring thing for 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 Carlos. But I can remember as a kid. Drawing, you know, I like drawing. No, not very good at it, but or any good at it. But uh, I would draw pages and pages of Carlos's spaceships. 
I don't know about you. Were you into art? Yeah. I, well, no, I didn't ever try myself. I should do. But they were they are beautiful things to behold, aren't they? Yeah, and they, the, the, the blackness of space comes across particularly well on these pages as well. Yeah. And we get some more weapons. Is it the, I think, is it, does he use the polarizer in this one? He uses the beam polarizer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we also see uh, a brilliant page of him with the Electronux and Wolf with the happy stick and yeah. the, the motion and action that Carlos conveys is just fantastic. Yeah, really. Oh, that's the point when he kills Papa Porker, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And, he, and again, in the next story, he uses it again, which is a fantastic, which, which we'll get to, but uh, that's really good. Um, so that's, that's excellent. The only thing I would say about this, and, and again, I probably people don't, won't agree, but uh, the, the Gronk, I, I was never really a fan of the Gronk. Oh, right. Okay. Um, because to me, opinions vary on yeah, the Gronk. Yeah, yeah, he smacked a lot of um, Walter from Dread, you know, who I just detested. Sidekicks. Oh, exactly. And, it, and it, I can remember distinctly when the Dread film with Stallone came out, and uh, I thought, well, this is going to be great. You know what I mean? Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, the opening scene on the wall, and you've got, it's, I think you've got James Earl Jones, isn't it? Didn't he do the. Um, Doing the voice, yes. The, the curse the of voice Earth, over. You know? Yeah, and, uh, and then the sun it opens up to the mega cityscape, and then you've got bloody um, who's that comedian? Oh, it's Rob Schneider playing Rob Fergie. Schneider. And as soon as he comes on, you think, what the? It's like a sidekick. It's almost like a Walter character to me. Yeah, it's horrible comedy anyway. sidekicks. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we don't like some, no need for it. I mean, really, actually, if you think about it, I thought, I thought Wolf would have been the most. You know, he's there's enough comedy in Wolf, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or enough of a foil but look that was a really good one okay so then it's followed by cure for cancer so johnny uh and they go to um uh pole uh the pole system uh so and they uh, what they call it a hive it's like a hive of scum and villainy isn't it like in Star Wars. it is yes <laughs> so again again another frontiers world and um so they go to a bar and they're looking for uh cancer who is this? A shapeshifter, isn't he? All right. Yes. And Johnny has, which is, I like this one. He has a, a, a sort of a flashback or, or a memory of an old um, uh, partner. And uh, his name, name Snooze. Uh, this is the partner that Cancer had killed previously, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think his name is Snooze. So um, I think it's right. No, Sniffer Martinez. Sniffer Martinez. But he's got a nose like the guy out from. Um, do you remember that Judge Dredd? Citizen, citizen snork. <laughs> citizen snork. You can't beat a citizen snork nose. And yeah. So, I mean, if you are going to be a mutant, that's not one you want, is it? Let's face it. No. That's not one you want. Right. So, okay. So, anyway, he's killed by him uh, after betraying him. And, uh, and so Johnny relives that. And he obviously, he's got some personal issues here now. And then, obviously, um, he's tricked because he, he sees that uh, Wolf, this the shapeshifter, has become Wolf. And there's lots of like the. Uh, treachery in that regard we've seen this many times before in various different things um, and uh, so they're, he's playing them off against each other but they're using mirrors to sort of find out you know who they are anyway so um, and there's this fire there so um, it's uh, eventually it ends up with Johnny confronting him and you see his true form but again it's and then there are multiple copies of him so uh, Wagner's using every every device he can now for trickery and illusion with this shapeshifter, uh, which is interesting. And then just when cancer thinks he's got him, got the better of him, Johnny's on his knees. Uh, Johnny uses that polarizing beam again, doesn't he? To shoot through his head. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that. I remember the time that was a, such a great shot. And, uh, you know, 
again the hubris of the uh, of the of the villain you know suicide eh <laughs> and when Wolf's saying no Johnny not that way you know and Johnny shoots straight through his skull it's fantastic heads I win cancer <laughs> it's fantastic stuff um, before yeah. we talk about the others I mean what about you mentioned in our notes about Wagner's writing and his skill uh, in doing this stuff for a young audience but not t- talking down to us at any time Yes, because yeah, my thoughts. I was reading through it again. And of course, this is just is juvenilia. This is just this is for kids, absolutely, definitely. But you hit on it just now. I mean, and the stories themselves are action packed. They're they're paced. They're well paced. They're visually arresting. They they they, they don't waste any time. So that in itself um, really you know addresses the needs of a sort of like excited young reader, but also. The bit, but what I was referring to then was the idea of the prejudice. Was the idea of this idea of these two, this this couple making their way through their lives, you know, having to deal with some quite extreme hatred, unfound hatred, you know, pure and utter prejudice. And and, and I think even though, I think if you'd have gone back to to, to a nine year old, I I wouldn't have been able to articulate that in any way to you. Yep. But certainly, I think Wagner introducing those sorts of tropes into um, and those sorts of ideas into his writing, uh, and we can talk a bit more as we go on, hopefully, really does, um, really does, I think, elevate the, 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 the reader. I mean, I've, I've been, I mean, I read, I read a lot. I mean, I, talk about, I, I, mean I, I listened to one of your podcasts recently, <laughs> and it was, you, you're a fan of um, Patrick O'Brien, aren't you? Oh, yes, yeah. So am I. I mean, this is not somebody who's the you know, the absolute pinnacle of, you know, of my opinion of, of writing, novel writing. So I do understand what writing is about. But uh, what this is, though, I think for, for nine year olds, I'm not sure nine year olds now could cope with some of the writing in this. I don't think they could. Right. I actually don't think. I think it's changed now. And I think that the the the, the, the lexical density of the writing. I think some of the ideas he's talking about, this, the constant, you know, referral to the different the ideas and uh, uh, and the, the the jargon and the sort of le- the lexicon of of space with the weapons and the, the the places they visit and all these sorts of things. I just think that's 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 it's actually. I think it would be quite challenging for a, uh, for an eight nine year old. Mm. Um, and and I, I don't, but I don't, there's no apology for it. It's just accepted. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it is. I mean, I, you know, we are all great fans of John Wagner's writing, and it's just terrific stuff here. Uh, and as we've said already, everything is introduced in this volume, isn't it? All the the tropes of Johnny and Wolf, uh, and lots of the stuff that we, you know, will come to to read in the coming years. It's basically just it's just his phrasing. There is a there is a maturity. And I think, and as I say, uh, about his phrasing, there, there often I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong. There isn't as much exposition in in this, yeah. That there would be in other strips, yeah. Yeah. It, you simply, it, it's simply an expectation that the, that, that the reader is going to take you through it, and I think that's quite powerful. Yeah. yeah and it, it equips the reader really well, and, and and that's why this comic I think is so good. And that's not to say it's still not juvenile. I understand it is. But for what it is, I think it was doing a great job. Um, so I'm thinking we perhaps haven't got time to go through all the stories in this volume. No. I'll point but people still, again to Conrad and Fox for that. But if you were to pick out from the rest of the stories that we haven't got to yet, any particular favourites? 
Well, I think the Two Faced Terror was was one that really struck me. Yes, where they go to the the, the paprika system. <laughs> Sorry, the paprika planet on the spice system. Yeah, and uh, they they face off uh, Billy Joe, um, who's an who's a, a a master of the laser whip. Um, and you see Johnny being defeated again. You know, um, and you know he uses the. I think he uses it twice in his early stories where you think he's dead. Yeah, but he's able he's able to feign death. Um, and he escapes, joins the circus, and then obviously comes back and gets his revenge and, and he and obviously billy joe meets his end with the uh, chuck waller monsters you mentioned so that's a really good because that one to me is the most western like of all of these he uses so much of the western tropes and themes uh, in that particular one as well and done really well as well i love that so story i mean i love i love johnny and wolf riding in on their skimmers like you know two horsemen uh crossing the desert in the opening panels and then, as you say, Johnny's beaten. We get we get some almost um, tragic foreshadowing of the future, and we see Wolf carrying Johnny's tattered body in a sort of inversion of what will happen many years later. Very much so. And of course, we get. I think this is the second Gronk appears in this story. Um, it is. So it is it his cousin. Yeah, it's his brother, yeah. I think, isn't it? Or brother, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, and he, that's where Wolf gets his um, his fur coat sort of thing, his fur jacket. Yeah, Gronk fur. And it's lovely. I mean, and of course, the smiling Chuck Waller, who will be, um, of course, used by Steve Green and Steve Sterlachini in the Search and Destroy fan film they made. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, which was fantastic. All right. Um, so yeah, I mean the so the the stories in the in the issues were great. It wasn't in every issue, but they were, they were really good. And they really established a fantastic character that, that very well, that well deserved to transfer over to 2000 AD and sat very well in the pages of 2000 AD. I think the, the, um, the other stories from the specials and annuals weren't as, I don't think as cohesive. So, mainly to do i don't know if you agree but with the artists involved yes so we get different artists appear at this stage don't we for the specials and annuals we get brendan mccarthy and ian gibson are the two most notable aren't they well ian gibson is art is i mean a beautiful artist i think so uh, and his and it's really great to see his i can't know how you describe his his his, his work but he's, he certainly draws the female form very well doesn't he, he does yes he's got, uh, yeah draws he's got lovely that, ladies um, he does, he does, but he's got a sort of very, um, very distinctive, um, sort of very fluid, but at the same time quite jagged style. That's how I would describe it. Uh, Brendan McCarthy. I mean, when did Brendan McCarthy start in 2000? When, when did he start? Well, this is, I mean, it's 19, gosh, this what, when was that angle from? 78. So it's very early, isn't it? It's one of his early bits. And he's not so bad. I mean, it's very colourful because it's always from the pages of the. Um, uh, of the of the annuals of the special, so that, he's not so bad at all. So, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Brendan McCarthy, but I certainly admire him. Did a lot of great work, you know, through the years. But the one that really struck me, which was I was surprised by it actually, and I looked him up, um, was Keith Page. Yes. Do, do you know? Do you know much about? Him? I don't know very. Uh, well, I know nothing about Keith Page. I'm afraid. Well, he did a lot of. No, he did. I did a quick look on Barney, and he did some. He went on and other else, elsewhere as well. He did a lot of. Um, colouring work did very little drawn work for 2000 I think just one maybe two one one piece he drew colour by piece he coloured and he did various other bits for um, other sort of maybe UK Marvel and other stuff as well but he later went on from the 90s and did a lot of a lot of Commando comics right oh, uh, right but but I don't know about you but it's I, I found his in this particular one it's I don't know about you but it's, it's 
it's just really turgid his style isn't it i don't want to be disparaging about him but it's almost like something you get in a very sort of throwaway future shock that sort of level of art yes you know, it's just, it's not the best art in this volume is it sadly it really isn't no no when not when you compare it literally the story after is 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 you've got this um you've got carlos the first opening panel is carlos with some sort of butterfly ship oh what a page yeah do you know what i mean yeah and, i know and you've got rolf and johnny there i mean it's just like um a bit of a flashback so you know really really good stuff so yeah that's a disappointment but it's all okay but i think the main for me the main the main meat of this particular book is in the actual uh, stories that were in the issues yes and it seems to be uh dare we say it's canon when john and carlos do it isn't it um it is. particularly with carlos because i mean i can't i almost can't read non-carlos strontium dog stories um they just seem like distractions from the main event i just want carlos doing it and of course sadly no more which is why i think they probably should retire the character but we still don't know do you, do you, oh do you think that yeah that's an interesting question uh I mean, listen, I have to say to you this. When they actually, when, when the decision was made to kill him off, that was appalling. Yes. That was an extremely poor decision. I mean, I, mean I, I loved early Rogue, but they should have taken Rogue out, really. I mean, the, the, bringing Rogue back constantly in various different guises, that was the worst decision. Now they should have just kept Strontium Dog, you know. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, I would agree. And of course, Carlos famously didn't draw it because he disagreed with it so vehemently. Um, and he was Johnny, proven Johnny. right. <laughs> Yes, and John John Wagner, I think, regretted that, didn't he? Yes, I think they did regret it. Uh, John and Alan regretted it. And, of course, John found a way to bring him back with Carlos, thank goodness. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if, you know, Brendan McCarthy's in here, Ian Gibson's in here. But if we look at this book, it's a Carlos book, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, again, it's King Carlos, our favourite. And, I mean, just that page of this weird butterfly spaceship against the planet with its moons... Johnny and Alfred at the bottom of the page. It's just stunning work, isn't it? Beautifully. I love it. And, you know, in colour, which is fantastic as well. Really, really good stuff. I mean, I mean I've got such great affection for that artist. Yeah. And it was a sad time. It was sad, sad when he died. But, uh, look, I mean, he, he's... And I think it's almost... He's even more special because he didn't really do much work elsewhere. Yeah. And I think he's very much a British comic icon, for me anyway. He is, yes. We've taken him as our own and, uh, yeah... yeah. Rest in peace, poor Carlos, dear Carlos. Um, so when we talked about this stories a long time ago with Steve Green, because they are in the first agency files, they were, of course, all reprinted in black and white or grey and white then, and we didn't have the colour pages. When here we get the reproduction of the colour pages... I also think that the black and white or the sort of grayscale pages from Star-Lord's pages, the better paper, the better printing, uh, look much better in this digital copy that you and I have been looking at. What did you think of the reproduction in this volume? Well, again, I, I was thinking about this question. I, thought, well, I, I would like to have the, uh, the book, obviously. Yes. Looking forward to seeing the book and seeing what it looks like. I don't know how different it will be. But I thought it was good. I mean, I thought, I thought the colours are quite rich. Uh, there's a lot of variation in there. And if, I mean, I, I haven't got me, I haven't got my original issues out, but uh, they look really good. I thought it's done a really great job. Um, so um, I liked it. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I think the colours are fantastic on the colour, you know, the two-page colour spreads when Strontium Dog got the colour pages, but also even the, the black and white or grey scales look really good on my iPad in the digital version on here. It's very sharp. 
the blacks are very sort of rich and beautiful, you know, the dark of space. So, yeah, I loved it. I thought the reproduction was a great job. Uh, I am looking forward to getting a hard copy as well. But, of course, as we say, these things have been delayed this year. But come November, we will have one. Absolutely. No, love it. Really good. I'm, I'm delighted to have this one. Trouble is, though, I don't know about your... You're probably the same thing, really. My uh, collection of graphic novels are going the same way as my collection of progs. Too many of them. Yes. <laughs> well, I could I could ask how many times you own these stories now, these particular uh, ones. Well, I've, I've owned them before, but I've, I've actually got... I've read, I think I sent Conrad one of them, actually. So, um, so uh, but... No, I, I I tend to to, to like just one copy. Right. And okay. I like move move it on. So this is when I saw this one. Oh yeah. Plus I've got the originals as well. But um. So I've got the Star Lord issues. I've got the uh, the SD agency files, and now I've got this as well. Uh, so there doesn't seem try- to be a limit to how many times I can buy this stuff. Right. And I try I try to uh, I try to no, I try to limit mine, Eamon. I try to make sure that I don't duplicate too much. Right. Um, so, for example, the uh, the the Hachette versions, I've, I've I've steered clear of those because, you know, um, I've got so much of it anyway. You know, and although they look beautiful and they really do, I just didn't. You know, I just no. didn't go there. Okay. Because I, there's only so much shelf space I've got, and some I'm just looking at a shelf here right now, and it's literally bending. So, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there's a limit. So uh, <laughs> anyway. So. Beautiful artwork, lovely reproduction, uh, everything you need to know about Johnny Alpha and Wolf is almost defined for us in this first volume. It's all there. We know this is a particular favourite, obviously, of Carlos and of John Wagner himself. I think they just, you know, uh, they get obviously all the credits for creating Judge Dredd, but this probably their best work together as a pairing, I would say. I think so. I think if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for a, a a collection of stories that really demonstrate how a character can be established, and and you're also looking for uh, and, uh, this is the one for you. But this is also um, a great great not say homage, but it's a great it does justice to what the character later to become as well. I think to, to present it in this way, uh, I think it's fantastic. So I think, you know, it, for, for anybody who admires Strontium Dog and sees that as a character, as one of the mainstays of 2000 AD, I think this is a book you must have actually, because uh, it is so good. Um, and as you say, John Wagner's in top form, Carlos is in top form, and you've got what is effectively one of the best characters to come out of 2000 AD stable, I think. Absolutely, yes. So we should say uh, the hardback will be out in November for nineteen ninety nine from the 2000 AD shop. It's already out digitally for nine ninety nine, which is what we've been looking at. The web exclusive version has all sold out. Um, but yeah, so yeah, fantastic. Heartly recommended. Get hold of this, even if you are double or indeed triple dipping as I am. But no worries. <laughs> Going back to the stories in this volume, which would be your absolute favourites to pick out and recommend? Well, again, I would I would restrict it to the the, the stories and the issues. And uh, for me, I think the two that really stick out they don't, they're, and I don't don't want to diminish the others, but the two that stick out for me would be Max Quirks because it establishes so much of what Johnny is. Uh, but in particular, I think Two Face Terror with Billy Joe is the one I think is really enjoyable because it's got the action it's got the pathos you know it's got the comedy 
it's just um uh, it's just a great piece as well so uh those are the two that i think really capture what johnny alpha is in those early early issues the excitement uh say the western themes uh the friendship the prejudice they really come through um and all the technology he uses as well so yeah those would be my two what about you Eamon well you've picked out the best two stories in the book I think they would be exactly mine Two-Faced Terror is the classic Strontium Dog um, sci-fi western with them literally sort of uh, arriving in a western town um, and it's got some great stuff in there uh, I particularly I'm taken with the scenes of, of Wolf staggering through the desert with, the, with Johnny's body in his arms and it's got the bit of comedy in there. It fortunately doesn't have any singing because there is some singing later on in this volume. John Wagner can't oh. resist putting some singing in his stories. <laughs> I, I meant to mention that, yes, when he's got the uh, the, the frogs or whatever. The, yes, the, 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 the brain story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, it really does. Yeah, so, yeah, it really needed a bit of that. And then, Just to top it off. Yeah, and then Max Quirk at the start, those first two episodes, which just set out the stall in such perfection. It's a great introduction to the characters. It tells you nearly everything you need to know about their world, about the challenges they face. Uh, and as I say, that first the first time we come across this idea that Johnny's not necessarily in this for the money. He will give the money away to a worthy cause, the first chance he gets much to Wolf's annoyance, I think, over the years. But yes, fantastic stuff. They are great stories. Really good. So, James, now an even harder question. If this art all survived and we were able to afford some of it, um, and I'm not sure that we can, but if we could, what would be your grail pages from this uh, st- the Strontium Dog to Star-Lord Years book? Now, before I, before I answer, I know, I know that you, uh, you collect a few um, original art pages, don't you? yes. Now, do you know, do any of these actually survive? Uh, I believe they do. I believe there are some of these pages on a comic book, uh, on comic art fans, yes. Oh, right. I don't have any Strontium Dog pages at all myself, apart from my commission where Carlos did the two alphas, um, the original concept sketch, and then the sort of like later version of Carla side by side striding out of the desert which you might be able to see listeners can't but you can probably see on the wall behind me oh I can yes fantastic yeah yeah uh, but yes now, some of this artwork does survive thank goodness okay so um, if I could lay my hands on it and it survived uh, uh, and I could afford it of course um, there, are, there are there are quite a few excellent pages which we've already spoken about uh, just uh, one of the secondary ones which I remember again just going back from memory was I think it was page 20 this is the one where the space pirates crash in to the ship uh, in Papa Porker um, in surrender in the name of Papa Porker that's quite a good shot because then you get a shot of Johnny and Wolf in action uh, and then they were surrounded as well so that's great yes uh, and I think there's a few other ones as well I don't want to go through all of them but um I think 26 and 27 I had on my notes as well. So let's quickly just, and I'll be the last one to look at before I tell you what the actual one is. So um, 26, 27, yeah, you get Johnny throwing, is, it, is he throwing a time? It's a beam polarizer, yeah. Depolar, yeah, so he takes it. And then the next page, you've got, imagine that's a double page spread, and then you've got Wolf piling in with his happy stick. Yes. Yeah. The fun begins. Be be happy, Verms. <laughs> yeah, and then Johnny with Electron ups there as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that's really good. But to my my grail page has to be 
and I'm going to be boring in this, but on my Grail page, and I'm, I'm, it's pages on this particular edition, pages five and six, which are the opening two pages. Ah. The two, the two colour pages of uh, Johnny and Wolf attacking those two Max Quirks agents. You get the chameleon cloaks. You get Johnny's eye, you know, seeing through his eyes. You get establishment of the story. You get them blasting them away. So you get them, these two people being killed. You get Johnny saying that they forget. I'm no normal man. I just think uh, for two establishing pages, this has got so much. It's brilliant. Yeah. So that would, that, to me, I would have those because again, and it brings back so many great memories as well. So, uh, Pages five and six in this edition. So the first two pages that of, of Strontium Dog ever, those are the two that I would, I would love to own. Okay, brilliant. Well, we will grant you all those in the virtual art gallery on the Facebook group and uh, on all the social medias, and I'll post all these images as we come out. And they become virtually yours forevermore, James. Thank you. <laughs> if only, on right now. <laughs> if only we could afford now. them. <laughs> I'm looking up now. I can see them on my wall right there. So, how about you? Well, I'm just thinking, goodness knows what the first two pages ever of Strontian Dog would cost. (laughs) Uh, Maybe Dale Jackson could tell us, probably. Um, I'm going to choose the double-page spread that starts off Two-Face Terror, where Johnny and Alpha... uh, Sorry, Johnny and Wolf on their skimmers riding into town. And just the beautiful colours. That lovely pairing of them. Uh, it's got the title logo on it, which is another masterpiece of design. I don't know if that was Carlos or Jan Shepard, but uh, it's wonderful. So, yeah, I would take that that double-page spread in colour. But your pages that you've chosen are just all marvels as well, and I'll post them all. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, I love that picture, by the way, on their bikes. Uh, and that design of those bikes, which you see so often later on, is fantastic. Yeah. Riding, riding off to the big dusty. Brilliant. Fantastic, James. So, anything else from your notes that you wanted to add about Strontium Dog to Star Lord years? No, I've, I mean, we, we've covered enough, and uh, but uh, there's lots of other bits and pieces, but that was fine. I enjoyed that, uh, Eamon. Thank you. No, it was great. I really loved it, and I really loved these stories, and how nice to see them in a nice, shiny new uh, collection, which will be out in hardback probably about four weeks or so after this podcast comes out. So... Guest projects, James. Anything yourself that you want to plug or mention? Well, I'm primarily my, my, what I mainly do is I, I'm, I'm a musician. Oh right, okay. So that's why I've got my that's why I'm able to record for you as well in my studio here. But uh, so I I'm not in 2000 related. I don't really do anything you know creatively towards 2000. Although, uh, so I just work on my music. Um, so at the moment, in lockdown, I'm working on. Um, online project with some musician friends in the UK that's been going really well and very enjoyable so that that's that's what I do so in terms of 2000 AD you know I'm just basically just continue with my collection um I keep up with the prog in the magazine and um I because you used to have a question where you said what's your recent acquisitions do you remember that yes <laughs> so I think I said to you uh, in our emails that um I've just picked up recently a um uh, uh the hardback or collection of the story Vanguard Oh right, yes. Which in the early two thousand, yeah. And I remember the t- I remember the time thinking, oh, it's, it's quite good because I say I'm a huge fan of Patrick O'Brien uh, and Master and Commander series. And uh, when that came along, I thought this is really good. You know, for two thousand AD, it's good. It's you know, it's got everything I want in it. You got the you know, it's got the uh, procedural stuff on the ships, and you've got the alien hordes and everything else. And it was, it was Robbie Morrison, wasn't it? It, it was, was, yes. Colin McNeil. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so, it has been mentioned before on the pod, or they never picked as a choice. Yes. 
So uh, I, 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 um, I picked that up and uh, really pleased about that because it was a limited limited run, so that's really good. But I've also been picking up um, other sort of like graphic novels and collections as well and trying to sort of expand uh, based upon your podcast too. I've been looking at, uh, picked up the Misties. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and the Judy as well, just just to sort of see them as well. And that's been really interesting. Yes. And because it's obviously, these these are stories that I would never really, I mean, I was definitely picked up. My sister used to get various pink things. So I, would, I would have picked them up and seen them, but it wouldn't have been something I would have looked at in any way at the time. But yeah, so I just basically enjoying picking up the graphic novels that come out and selecting those. So the fact that uh, Rebellion have now got the treasure of British comics has been great, actually. Yeah, it I'm is. Really enjoying that. Really enjoying that. I picked up the um, Johnny Future, which is interesting. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> See, seeing, seeing these, seeing these comics, which are a bit before my time. Yeah, and mine. But yes, that was interesting, yeah. wasn't it? An interesting art. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And um, I enjoy that. I really do enjoy that. If you like comics. And I'll tell you what I did pick up recently, uh, uh, Eamon, which was the Masters of British Comics. Oh, what a book, yes. Oh, gee, that was stunning. Absolutely stunning. So I really enjoyed that. And it was well worth the investment. And um, so I recommend that to anybody as well. So I really, really enjoyed that. Yes, David yeah. Roach, Masters of British Comics, a beautiful hardback, a book that you can open just a page a day almost will do you, won't it? It would. Yeah. yeah so that was, that was a, a great... A great uh, acquisition as well. So in terms of my own projects, then, yeah, so I just continue, continue with my music and I publish things online. As I say, I'm just working working away. I'm really enjoying that. Um, do you uh, have a SoundCloud or a Bandcamp page for your music at yes, all? Yes, I do. So I, I do have a sound, so my, so my um, uh, SoundCloud page is called The Satonian. Right. So, uh, which is just, that's basically, I put stuff on there from a couple of groups I'm, I'm involved in. And um, so The Satonian is just me. My Life in England is another group, and but my the current group I'm working with uh, is, is not. Uh, we're still working. That take a couple of years, actually. This is a long-term project, Eamon. <laughs> All right. Well, send <laughs> me the links, and I will put them in the show notes for this episode, okay. so people can okay. check out your music, James. Yeah. Okay. No problem at all. But as I say, it's not. It's not 2008 related. But uh, but what I would say is that, however, there was a lyric. That some of the lyrics do reference, you know, the 2008. So uh, anyway, so um, that's what I do, and. Um, no more to be said about that. Well, that's perfect. I will include those links. And yes, wonderful recent acquisitions like yourself. The Masters of British Comic Art book is just a wonder and a joy to behold. Uh, can't promote that enough because it's so wonderful. And of course, do get hold of your copy of Strontium Dog, Search and Destroy the Star-Lord Years from 2008. It's just beautiful. It really, well, it is. I'm looking forward to the actual... Um, Hard copy. Hard copy. Yeah. I did look, I did see the the images with some, you know, mild envy of people who got the sort of like the early editions. I didn't realise they were they were available, so that passed me by. Yeah, fantastic. So James, that's been great. Thank you so much for giving up your time this morning and coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Excellent stuff talking about these early Strontium Dog stories, which are just so great. And uh, yeah, check out Conrad and Fox's Star Lordathon as well, with guest appearances from yourself and me in the various hours. I think we got early hours before Conrad and Fox started to get punch drunk. Oh. <laughs> I got this. Which episode did you do? Uh, seven, I think it was. Yeah. All oh, right, no, brilliant, brilliant. No, it was it was enjoyable. Look, any way I can help them because I think they're they're doing a fantastic job. Like yeah. yourself, it's just um, it's just amazing what they're doing, and they're, they they manage to maintain their enthusiasm as well. So, great stuff. I st- I listen to when I'm when I'm working out and training, and I, and I just I'm just constantly amazed by 
their um, goodwill towards the comic yes. and their uh, and their positivity and uh, and they've got a great relationship and uh, I'm so looking forward to some of the big momentous moments that are coming up. There's some big <laughs> stuff, yeah. Space Spinner yeah, 2000, recently, highly recommended. Yeah they, yeah, they recently did the, the Dead Man one, which is fantastic. Yeah, uh, and uh, so they've got some more to come up, yeah, which is brilliant. So, um, and of course they've got some other. Uh, which we won't say anything. They've got some, one particular moment coming up, which is pertinent to what we're talking about Yes, today. indeed. Yes. <laughs> Nobody tell Fox. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. So no, thank you very much. Thank you, James. You. And, uh, and, and, and I wish you the very best for all your other podcasts as well that you do. It's, you do a great job. And uh, as I say, always look forward to, to, to when you post a new one. It's great. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find out more at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the 2000AD forums, and on Spotify. Or get in touch by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, it's time for goodbyes. So goodbye from me and... Goodbye from him. Wow.